This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, it's Robbie here. Welcome along to another episode of the Offscript podcast. Another oddball collection of stories coming your way over the next few minutes. We've got virtual influencers. They're up first. What are they? Are they a good thing? And are they more intolerable than the real thing? I'm on the fence about this one. We've also got a little story about a chef that's gone viral for railing against fussy eaters. He says that there's no such thing as fussy kids, just bad parenting. I, as a fussy eater, have to agree that maybe he's got a point. We'll talk that and we'll also tell you about the sheer bonkers story that took place in Brazil with two politicians who decided to settle their differences, not during a debate, not man to man, but in an octagon. Seriously, you want to catch this one. It's the Offscript Podcast. Enjoy. The Offscript Podcast. Let's talk virtual influencers. Virtual influencers. We've been hearing about blockchain world. Noni Edwards has been down there sending us some updates about this. Of course, it's a topic a lot of people have been talking about recently, very interested in. And one of their key speakers was Christopher Travers. He is the co-founder of Offbeat Media Group and also the founder of virtualhumans.org. I feel like we could partner with them. Offscript, Offbeat. Yeah? We could do something with them. Maybe he could make our digital avatars. <gasps> I, I think you're onto something. Maybe. But let's, let's explain first what he does and what he's up to, why he's here. So uh, his company is actually backed by Mark Cuban, uh, Mark Cuban's Investments. And they say they have a one billion audience reach via social channels and influencer reach. And essentially what they do is they help create experiences, virtual influencer experiences. And he was telling me and it explained to me a little bit that virtual influencers are a real trend at the moment. They have sponsors, they have millions of fans, and they're particularly popular in Asia. But let's hear directly from Christopher, because what on earth actually is a virtual influencer? Yeah, so virtual influencers are basically the premise of taking a character, maybe that you might see in a comic or some other medium, um, and posting them on social media and giving them a first-person view of the world. So in effect, they kind of get they come to life by writing this fictional story behind them. Uh, and you post uh, with a cadence that is relentless and a first person view that is also relentless, meaning uh, you don't really break the mold from that. So you could go for like a period of years where this character just keeps posting. And eventually as you follow that character, you start to respect it as, you know, an influencer. So this character is not you. This is not just a representation of you. In some way, this character is fictional. Does it look like you? Does it look completely different? Like, paint me a little bit of picture of how you approach this and how you also write this character to keep some sort of separation from just being yourself, I guess. Yeah, you ask a really good question there. I'll say most every virtual influencer in the space is not a re- direct reflection of another human. Uh, actually, if not all of them are not reflections of the human uh, driver, you could say, right? Or the team behind it. Um, so in effect, the most popular use case of a virtual influencer is to create a new type of character, a new IP, and explore new storylines. Um, and that gets into the fiction of it all, this idea that you can create these fun experiences that are narrative-driven, that you know comes from who know, knows where, right? Um, like what, what inspires maybe a Marvel film, for instance, uh, to create those characters? Like why does Thor exist? Um, and so this, the same thing kind of maps over to the virtual influencer space where teams are creating characters for social media with that same fiction and craft in mind. I'm already getting angry. <laughs> why? I'm already okay, getting angry. Tell me why. First of all, his use of the word relentless. 
that just sums it up. That's what social media has become. It's just become relentless. It's a treadmill where if you are an influencer to try and create an audience, you post relentlessly. And it's not content. It's just an, it's just a projection of meism. That's all it is. It's yeah. not, you're not influencing anything. You're just projecting yourself onto the world. So that's number one. Number two, if this character is created, if it's all just simply contrived, then how are they authentic? How are you influencing anyone? Who, who is this influencing? Who is looking at a virtual avatar and going, oh, that virtual avatar is, is wearing whatever label. I better go out and buy that. It's so much of a big pile of nonsense. I can't even begin to describe. I don't agree with any of it. None of it. Okay. So like you, at first, my initial reaction was to roll my eyes a bit. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Influencers are here. So if we're going to rail against influencers in general, that is the life we live in. Okay. So out of the different varieties that we can have, <laughs> listen, if, if I'm going to get another hot girl in a pool in a bikini versus somebody who's actually created a kind of cool character and is expressing some level of creativity... On second thought, maybe it's kind of cool that a character that you might otherwise only experience passively, that is, let's say, watch on TV or watch in a movie, is suddenly kind of a living being that's interacting with the world. Yeah, it's all a bit weird. But I think I'd take that over some of the other varieties of influencer that we have today. Yeah, but we've looked at what, an example of this and they're not doing anything. They're just <laughs> posing in just moronic poses with weird... It's just such a juxtaposition of like these... It's weird. It's very strange. Charlie's got in touch to say, Rob, given that we are all going to be seeing virtual versions of ourselves getting used to this sometime in the future, think soon, metaverse. So virtual influencers make sense. Not for me. I just got off Facebook and Insta because of the same barrage of selfishism you spoke yeah, about. Yeah. And I, I am I'm, I'm on the cusp of actually wanting to do that myself. But mm. my job just I am somewhat obligated to to have an online presence. Yeah. I, I would love to. I would actually love to. I would love to try a year where I don't, I don't look at them at all. Um, and it would be great. But I'm still trying to extricate, my, <laughs> extricate myself whilst also fulfilling my radio commitments, which is eh, it's a bit, bit tricky. It's a tricky path. Yeah. You're very, you, the, you, you take a very good approach to it, I think. Well, I get on it sometimes when I'm in the mood. But, um, yeah, I try not to yeah, overdo you it. Just, you know, it's, it's the people that have turned it into, like, I don't know, <laughs> that that word he used, relentless, is is the exact word that right. I that I would apply to to so many people's kind of uh, you know the way they've decided to turn it into like this ch the churn of content. If that makes sense. It's no longer about there's no it's no longer whimsical. You know when you used to be on it and you just put up a photo because you like the photo or yeah. you wouldn't there wouldn't be no there'd be no kind of um, pre preordained kind of reason or or like premeditation over why you would post the photo you just do it yeah not too much not overthought through yeah not trying exactly. to look exactly like somebody else like there's a lot of sheep-like behavior of just i've seen this exact style of photo a hundred million times before mm. and yet people continue to post it just to be like other people yeah. Anyways, um, Amanda's been in touch to say, totally with you, Rob. Hot air and irritating nonsense. More importantly, often without fact or accountability. Um, people stop thinking when they hear something enough, they start to believe it in terms of, of just the way social media is going. Um, yeah. And Faha is, is not having it either. It's well, another flaw of social media. There we go.
Good, good to good to hear that a lot of people out there concurring with the sentiment. Where are we going though? Because we are going to continue to delve where we really, we really don't want to delve. So. <laughs> no, I don't know. I find it interesting. It is one of those things that. <sighs> You know, we've talked about this before. The world is going in a certain direction. It's going to happen regardless of if we love it or not. So I think at least yeah. being aware of it is important. Yeah, don't forget the, the shack in Alaska. That's always there. Yeah. It's always there as an option. I mean, I always think back to that. It's nice to know. When the metaverse know. kicks in, that's where I'm headed. Yeah. <laughs> Have you? I, I can imagine that you go home on your weeknights, like your Thursday evening, and just like look up property listings in Alaska like I, I can imagine have, that I don't think they have property list, listings People for the do, kind of accommodation that what for the little shack you want yeah you want to live in somebody's backyard shed where they keep their like tools basically <laughs> you want to grow a long beard I I you want to just eat oatmeal all day it's, it's like a I nice can imagine thought. this life it's a nice thought but the rea- the cold hard reality of it you know <laughs> yeah. running around with the grizzlies out there in Alaska <laughs> you know we know what happens to grizzly man it's probably not a good idea so what you're saying now is ultimately you don't always have the shack in Alaska. Listen, it's, it's just a nice little romantic thought, mm. but it's the, the practicality of it would would probably be somewhat uh, difficult to actually carry on. Yeah. So here you are. You're in this world <laughs> that includes virtual influencers. Yeah, sign me up to the bloody metaverse. Uh, yeah, and you're, Go gonna, for it. you're just going to have to live with it. Now, we talked a little bit, Christopher Travers, who was our expert on this topic, about the appeal. He said... Listen, a lot of the interest is coming from the gaming industry, anime industry, where you'll already see people who enjoy these virtual media experiences. It's like a fictional iteration, he said, with more creativity behind it to the point where he thinks it could outpace human influencers. And, um, you know, there are different aspects to that. He said some of them have millions of followers. So I started looking at some of the most popular virtual influencers today. I showed one of them to you, Michaela Sousa or Lil Michaela. Right. This was a character that was created by a guy called Trevor and somebody called Sarah. They went. <laughs> I love how I love how glamorous that Michaela Sousa, created by Trevor and Sarah. <laughs> Not that they're living vicariously through anyone else or anything. Well, isn't that cool? They've created this fictional character. Imagine, I'd like to see a character created who was called Trevor. I'd create a virtual influencer called Trevor. Let's see how he does. You know, it's funny you say that because the other ones on my list that I'm going to talk to you about are called Knox Frost. New Nuri and Shudu. So, yeah, I didn't come across the most common of names. Yeah. Not to say they're not out there, but just not on my list today. Gary. Let's, let's, get, a, <laughs> let's get a virtual influencer called Gary. I would like to see you do this as a social experiment. You be the actor or the driver behind Gary. Uh, okay, let's get And the, have a little we... think now about what kind of character Gary would be. Because remember, Gary can be anything. Gary doesn't have to be you. Mm. You don't have to make Gary a golfer. No, okay? he'd be an electrician. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he'd be an electrician. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've got an idea for how Gary would. He'd be a weekend golfer. You know, he'd be. <laughs> you're looking at me like, what the hell? How are you exciting. About? How exactly. exciting. I want to make the most mundane, boring virtual influencer <laughs> I can. Nothing against Gary, by the way. Okay. I, just, I just want Gary's life to be very standard. He plays his golf on his weekends. Yep. He's an electrician by day. Yeah. And, you know. He's got Let's a happy, see. happy little exactly. marriage. He's got a happy little marriage. He's got two kids. <laughs> what, what, what's there not to like? Okay, well, we'll see how that takes off. In the meantime, Michaela, little Michaela, who we were talking about, she's one of the most popular um, virtual influencers out there. She came out in 2016. And 
she's like a CGI character. What surprised me about this is when Christopher Travers was telling me about the idea of virtual influencers, I thought, okay, they're going to be kind of wacky. They're going to be anime-like. This is almost, she almost looks like a real teenage girl. Yeah. Hanging out. And what's weird, if you look at her photos, she's hanging out with a group of real people, but then she's there juxtaposed in the picture, this digital creation. So she almost looks like the Instagram account of a real 19-year-old, let's say. And she's got, like, just as inane of the photos of, like, her with some whipped cream on her face or just hanging out at the pizza parlor with her friends. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Didn't know this was risque. Yeah, uh, you know the whipped cream that you can buy in the. Okay, let's yeah. move on from that. Anyway, she was named one of Time Magazine's 25 most influential people on the internet a couple years ago. Also um, worked in advertising campaigns alongside Bella Hadid for a Calvin Klein ad. Uh, did some work for Samsung. So has actually made some cash in the advertising world for this. Knox Frost, meanwhile, is another one. Um, he has the persona of a 20-year-old robot living in Atlanta. So I quite like that they've made him a robot. So there's actually like a fictional element to that. Right. Nunuri is a fashionista and identifies as fur-free vegan and a feminism-supporting activist. Okay. So she's got had a number of collaborations with Dior, Valentino, you know, any number of different things. So these are – there's also a virtual influencer, Shudu, who's the first digital supermodel hailing from South Africa. She's promoted Fenty Beauty. So these are these are characters that are not real who are getting real sponsorship deals. Okay. But presumably if you can create whatever you want, why is she the first digital supermodel? You, you could... Just the first person I think to do it, I guess. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's – you know, check some of these out. I didn't know this world existed. Uh, it's pr- it's pretty interesting. But anyways, let's get back to Chris Travers because he his company, Offbeat, creates these different experiences. And his site, Virtual Humans, is an aggregator of the space that shows you what's going on in this world of virtual influencers. And is, this, is an area you can go to for more information for this. So how did he get into this in the first place? Yeah, I've actually been toying with identity online since 2013 when me and my co-founders launched a pseudonymous social media website where you could flirt with, compliment, or question anybody at your school using uh, a toggle that allowed you to go anonymous to do so. So you could choose to compliment them uh, through your identity, or you could toggle on this anonymous layer that allowed you to, you know, it would say anonymous to Christopher, for instance, uh, with a compliment. And in effect, I started to realize that people were more expressive when they had the anonymous toggle on and shared way more. Like in the data, it showed that people shared more frequently because they had the anonymous toggle. And that was just so fascinating to me. And even a couple got married as as a result of that that mechanism. Um, Someone left someone a compliment. They entered a message. They stayed anonymous. And then they revealed themselves and started dating from there and have since gotten married. So ever since 2013, I've been thinking about these concepts of oh, wait a minute, being online, you can actually have this altered identity that allows you to be maybe more true to yourself and more expressive or, you know, like create a fiction that is expressive with a team. And so it's just really grown from there. Um, And a few years ago, I heard about this famous virtual influencer named Little Michaela, and it really struck a chord in me when I saw the first photo of her. Um, I remember the moment just like seeing the photo and thinking, yes, this, this is something and this is... This is an iteration on pseudonymity. This is the future of media. The future is virtual. I remain unconvinced. (laughs) 
despite the fact that what I think is completely irrelevant. It's happening and it's going to happen and it's just going to be more of it in the future. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about it. I do it. think there's something interesting to the anonymity portion that you talked about. Interestingly, Chris and I, uh, Christopher and I had continued that conversation on anonymity. And, you know, of course, there's two sides to that. There's the side of being able to feel freer to express yourself because you don't feel as judged because you're putting forward a character. So he said in some cases that character is completely fictional. In other cases, maybe people are using something of an avatar and a persona, but it really is them themselves that they're communicating right so they feel a little bit more free to communicate themselves in kind of a retro way remember the chat forums and you know even reddit to this point where, where people are using anonymous names still so that they can say whatever they want and there is that flip side to it where it's negative and he said that early project he started in school where people could you know compliment each other anonymously or, or send messages essentially to each other anonymously he said eventually was brought down by a small number of bad actors sure so he would say, exactly. So there's that small number of bad actors that ruin the experience for everyone. And ultimately, that didn't work out. But he okay. said with virtual influencers, he thinks of it as a neutral sort of platform. It's obviously the person behind it that can kind of figure out what they want to do with that. Fad has planted just the gem of an idea. The, the kind of real nucleus of something that could go somewhere. Sona Rapani, a virtual golfer, yep. influencer. It's never been done, we think. It might have been. It probably has been. Well, we can look into it, but you've been looking at me with a bemused expression I as have, I just kind I of know. rant and rave at you about how this is yeah. such a brilliant idea. Yeah, I could be retiring like this guy that made yes. 26 million quid off Bitcoin. you got to see the trend early. <laughs> take a risk. Take Fad's a gamble on it. already created the character. He's you like, know? oh, thanks for that. Fahad, we can work on this together. I think this is a brilliant idea. You know, you make him kind of a quirky personality or her. It could be him or her. It could be a they. Um, you make them a quirky personality and yep. you just write some kind of, you kind of poke fun at the fact that this is a virtual golf influencer in right. a way that you're really good at doing because you're really good at creative copy. Okay. And, uh, and, and this just absolutely takes off. I love it. Yeah. And then I, I, before you know it, you're getting, you're getting Callaway sponsorships and you're actually making money off of this. But I, I wouldn't have the first idea how to even visualize the content. That's the problem. What what would be? I mean, post number one. What, well, is it yeah. just? Is it just the golfer? You know, I don't understand. Does it? Does it appear in a real photo? Does it? Yeah. So we got to have him doing like out on the green, maybe giving his golf advice, maybe doing something kind of silly like chasing the ducks on the golf course. <laughs> you know. Oh God! You know what I mean. This, I mean, I thought we stooped to low, le low levels on this show occasionally, <laughs> but that could be the new, the new low. The Offscript Podcast. Now, this particular story, Zone, this struck a nerve with me because I am potentially the fussiest eater that I've ever come across. Yeah, and that's I think... weird because I've not come across myself, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I've never met anyone who is as fussy as I am. No, so, I would agree with that. You're one of the fussiest eaters I've ever met. And you, you and I have, you've never really experienced the true height of my fussiness. I mean, I am, there are some restaurants I go to where there's almost nothing on the menu that, mm. that, I, that I can eat. Yeah, because I know you don't like eggs. No. Um, well, seafood. What seafood, that's right. I don't eat seafood. Yeah, eggs and seafood Unless are there's the a list. raft of other things that just... Dairy, we're not a fan of dairy, are we? Uh, we're indifferent dairy, to dairy. We, we're very specific about dairy. Okay. We're very specific. What else do we not eat? Uh... You know, anything adventurous, in all okay. honesty. Anything right. kind of that's... We're, we're very straight, solid, you know... A modest... Unadventurous Plain eater. salad, maybe some veggies and a grilled chicken breast. Kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. 
So there's a celebrity chef called Gino De Campo. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this guy? No. He's a Can't famous TV chef. Okay. Um, he has slammed, okay, moron, that is his words, not mine, parents who can't be bothered to fight their fussy eater kids. Okay? Now, he has claimed there's no such thing as a fussy kid, and he says the blame lies squarely at the foot of the parents for not doing enough to encourage them to eat what they're given. He's a dad of three, okay, and he insists that he didn't give his kids the option to be fussy. He was speaking on the... and I. Again, this is a podcast, apparently. I, I'm not a listener. I'm not a regular listener of it, but it's called the Sweat, Snot and Tears podcast. <laughs> I can't say that I've heard of it before, but it's probably quite popular. Yeah. He says, when people talk to me about fussy children with food and ask me, what do I think? I tell them there is no such thing as a fussy child, but there is a thing called moronic parenting. By moron, he goes on to explain, I mean idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if moron wasn't clear enough, let, Gar- let Gino help you out here. Idiots is what he's saying. He says a child doesn't grow up fussy. It's not possible. It's the parents. They can't be bothered to have that conflict, to have that fight. They can't be bothered to see their children go to bed without having any food. He turns around, he says, I can. So he's got a a technique that he employed Mm -hmm. with his kids when they didn't want to eat whatever he put in front of them, revealing that if his daughter chose not to eat her tea, she'd be served the same meal for breakfast. Okay. He said, if you're not hungry because you aren't eating the ravioli, that means you don't get anything. Tomorrow, instead of cornflakes, what are you going to find? You're getting the ravioli from last night. And if you don't want it in the morning, guess what? You're getting it for dinner. Does that work? Because that just makes me think that you're going to connect ravioli with like a sense of trauma in that child and they're never going to want to eat ravioli ever again in their lifetime. Here's the thing. I, I have direct, I can relate to this okay. because, and I, I, you know, I have had conversations with people, people who are very close to me who, ha, who have a real issue with my fussiness. It, okay. it affects their mood, apparently. Really? It affects their enjoyment of like a shared meal. Sure. Because I'm impossible to go to dinner with and share stuff. Right. And just kind of, you know, let's order 10 or 11 things off the menu. I, I, I can't do that. So I'll say, no, no, I want that, that, and that. You got you, and I'll always say, you have what you want. I'll have what I want. Everyone's happy. Sure. But there are people out there who like to have a communal experience yes. in many cultures, and I should have gotten over it by now. But I, it, it's psychologically ingrained in me. I don't eat seafood. When did and this I remember, start for you? So I remember I had the exact same thing, and my mum did try this tactic because she used to make this um, mackerel and haddock pie, which is very, very fishy. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a very fishy. Yep. Sounds like a very fishy mackerel, pie. Mackerel and smoked haddock. Yeah. It was, I can basically smell it yeah. just by th- look, thinking of it. Yeah. We used to have that every, you know, every, every so often on a Sunday. Yeah. And I couldn't stand it. So I just kind of took a stand and went, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to eat it. Yeah. And, she, and she said, right, if you don't want to eat it, her tactic was you don't get any sticky toffee pudding. Okay. Withholding that, dessert. That did not deter me. Yeah. I remember I, was, I would have been about seven or eight. I went up to my room. No dinner that night. Yeah. I took a stand. Okay. And then she eventually stopped giving me fish. She, she decided that, you know. But did that certain road... pie then translate to all seafood for you somehow? Yeah. I mean, school dinners also had their fair share of the blame. Right. They, they used to serve these cardboard fish fingers oh. that were just, uh, I mean, it was just... 
But listen, the, the, all the kids who went to my school that eat seafood now didn't have the same trauma as me. Sure. So uh, it's just weird. It's, it's psychological. And I should really get over it by now, but it's kind of deeply ingrained now. Yeah, I think, listen, if you can't stand a food, you just can't. For me, it's papaya. And it was actually because my mom kind of took this approach of this chef. I was about seven years old. I remember the day. You know, I don't remember very much. Mm. But I remember this incident in my childhood where my mom decided she got on this kick all of a sudden. I'm going to have you guys try a new fruit or vegetable every day. This lasted exactly one day. And day one was papaya. (laughs) Okay. And I took one bite of that papaya and I thought, oh, I do not like the taste of this. And I wasn't a very fussy eater at all, but I really, really strongly disliked it. She made me eat the whole papaya. I mean, I think there were tears in that papaya. I was eating my own tears out of that papaya. <laughs> and now to this day, I can smell it across the room. Oh, God. If another fruit has touched the papaya, I won't eat the other fruit. Wow. That's... So I'm going to say, say, I think this is bad advice. Well, you know what he goes on to say? Uh, This is after he's explained his tactic for getting his kids to eat the ravioli. And he just gave that as an example. He said, I'm not comparing a child to a dog. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying that. But it's the same as... But then he goes goes ahead and does compare the child to the dog. Because it's the same as when you have a puppy. You only have to tell him off and pretend to smack him a couple of times, not to wee on the floor. Eventually, he's not going to wee on the floor. He's going to go outside. So he has directly compared his experience of raising kids... To dog having, training. To dog training. Yeah. You train basically. your kids. I Listen, I'll take something to that. I think you do set some lessons early on. But I'd love to hear from parents out there because we're obviously not parents. So have you tried this? Does it work? Do you prefer a firm approach? Yeah, that's a great, great do point. Do you give in? Listen, my nephew is currently visiting. He's almost four years old. We had a moment at the dinner table yesterday where he threw a tantrum and everybody instantly gave in. <laughs> And, and I thought to myself, and this is no judgment because I'm not a parent, but sincerely I thought to myself as a genuine question, isn't this just going to reinforce this bad behavior yeah, of, of throwing a tantrum every time you want something? Because the giving in was instant. It was like something got taken away. Yeah. The tantrum just barely started and then all of a sudden it was rushed back. Yeah. And, and I did think to myself, I mean, that's probably just going you know to encourage though? more tantrums, right? We're not in any position to comment on no, it. No, 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 for sure. Like I said, there's no judgment there. It's just a genuine question yeah. for our parents out yeah, there. Do true. you think it works if you are firm and you insist on something or does it backfire against you? Fussy kids. Is there such a thing or is it just, as Gino would say, moronic <laughs> would be his word, parenting? As we've mentioned, we're not the experts here. We're not parents, but we do have a couple parents who have been getting in touch. Fatima, mum to eight-year-old triplets. Oh, wow. Wow. Says, I do not recommend recommend forcing kids to eat foods. Don't make a big deal out of it. Take it away. Offer an alter- one alternative. For example, Vegemite toast. Reintroduce the same food a few weeks later. If still no, then forget it. I have a son with a diagnosed sensory issue which affects food types. It requires patience and persistence with love, not an approach which sounds moronic and traumatizing. <laughs> Throwing that moron word back. Yes, I like that. Gino. I like, I like that. I like that. Yes. Yeah. Someone called TDS has said moronic parenting for me. Yeah. Someone called TDS has been listening about your fussy eating habits. Yes, thank you for that message. <laughs> um, we have had Sana be in touch to be to say firm approaches work in some instances, but kids are human beings. So are we. Sometimes just giving them that toy is worth having some peace at the dinner table. Um, and as well, Sana has also said two kids took a similar approach with both, worked with one, not the other. I fear an oversimplification for podcast points, which is massively. 
definitely Massively. a good point there. No, listen, I, and from a, I only speak from a personal point of view. I wish that maybe I had developed a, a better resistance to eating a wider variety of foods when I was a kid. But, mm. And that's my fault. I don't blame... You know, my, my parents did, did a manful job trying to get me to eat as much as possible. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. I You've do. got other kids. I've got a, my, my best friend has uh, a son who, who is allergic to an awful lot of foods. Right. Like seriously allergic. Like we'll have a we'll have a bad reaction if he eats certain foods, dairy and, and, and the like. So, you know, it's, that's a tightrope. That's a that's a real kind of fine line you've got to draw there. Yeah. And he, as a result, as a consequence, the interesting thing is because he can't have things like chocolate or ice cream. He eats an extremely healthy. He's a very, very healthy young boy. And that's the thing. It's like actually when you when you're restricted in a way, you actually, you know, you you can map out a really healthy diet. Yeah. Potentially. Who knows the real underlying reasons as to why we, you know, develop those dislikes in the first place. I think I started looking into it because I thought it'd be interesting to find out. And I found it really complicated, actually, Mm. because you think like, you know, I don't like onions. My brothers who have the same genes as I do, essentially, and have the same growing up environment, love them. So where does that come from? Yeah. Yeah. It's such an odd thing to no, me. My, my brother loves his scrambled eggs. Yeah. But not for me. Thank you very much. The Off Script Podcast. Brazilian politicians, two of them, decided they didn't agree on a subject. How would they resolve that? They would get in an octagon and go three rounds against one another. Insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane. Two politicians in Brazil jumped in the octagon. It wasn't even a boxing ring. It was a proper octagon, UFC style. Mixed martial arts, kicking, punching, you name it, probably gouging. Um, And it was the mayor of Borba, Simão Pexotto, and the former councilman, Ereno Alves da Silva, who went toe-to-toe in the octagon because da Silva, who is also known as Merico called out Pixotto a couple of months ago just saying listen mate I'm not a fan of your leadership oh yeah okay so that answers one of my first questions because you said former councilman so I thought this guy's not even in the government anymore like how is he involved in this he's a jilted ex-councilman he just threw a bit of shade is what you're saying he did he did Uh, to be fair Pixotto was more than happy to meet the challenge. Okay. He got on his Facebook page and he said, I'm not a street fighter, I'm the mayor of the municipality of Borba. But if he really wants to fight, we're ready to fight. I've always been a winner, he says. The thing about something like this is you see these kind of taunts thrown out. Nobody actually fights. Yes. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine is... yeah. Biden and Trump in an octagon? I mean, exactly, because they threw out similar threats, didn't they? Trump did, at least. Kind of, yeah. But imagine it actually happening and actually following before, through and taking it place. It would be a very, very tough night for Joe Biden, I think, if that <laughs> happened. We've talked about this before. Probably. Probably. Yeah, Donald really impose his physicality on that bout, I think. Uh, but uh, anyway, so on the 12th of December, a few days ago, uh, they trained for the fight. They did it properly. And they got in the octagon. They squared off. And it is bonkers video footage. I've got to say, their cardio, I was impressed. <laughs> I think if Matt Fortune, our resident boxer, had seen it, he'd have been quite impressed as well. They were throwing some wild haymakers, a lot of kicks, Couple landing. They both got in some big, big shots. You know, they both clearly hurt one another. Yeah. And after a brutal three-round contest, Pexotto, who, of course, accepted the challenge, was Pexotto declared... Pexotto is the mayor. 
Pegsotta is the mayor. Right. He was declared the winner despite, this is the controversial bit, Mirico seeming to have the best of it because he rocked the mayor with a few well-timed shots. <laughs> so are you saying that the, it was a controversial outcome? There might have been a little, a little, little like manipulation exactly yeah. at play here. <laughs> yeah, you just think that the jilted ex-councilman had no leg to stand on politically. Yeah, exactly. And you have to feel that there were three Borba judges <laughs> in that crowd who were very much in the camp of Pixotto. I mean, this is unbelievable. This was a proper brawl between, between two politicians. It was crazy. I mean, they, they were going for it as well. This was not a kind of wrestling match. This was not a man-hugging competition. Mm. This was some real stinging Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right. Let me ask you a question. Your mayor goes in and does something like oh, this. Boris Johnson do you respect, in the Do you respect I mean, him more or less? You respect him more, don't you? Yeah, he do. Massively. <laughs> you, do. you respect the heck out of Pixotto. <laughs> Even though it's absurd and ridiculous. It is. You, you yeah. do, though, because yeah. he's willing to put, quite literally, <laughs> he's willing to put it on the line for his people. He's well, he mayor. was doing it for his ego, not for he's his people. He's defending his honour. Yeah, I mean, he's doing it for his own ego. Certainly sure. not for his people. No, you, you could say that. Uh, <laughs> someone said was Michael Massey, one of the refs. <laughs> oh, dear. He's, of course, the race director for Formula One. That's great. Yeah, he might well have been. He might have hopped over from Abu Dhabi. Although I think it happened on the same day, didn't it? It was Sunday the 12th. I think I'm getting it right. So Michael Massey was otherwise engaged over here in Abu Dhabi. Um, but that is just fantastic. Brilliant. The mayor took such a beating, says one regional news site, that his jaw dropped. <laughs> Oh, dear, oh, dear. That's great. Wow. Okay. That, that is one of the great kickback stories even, of the year. Yeah, like you said, even in an era where we have come to expect, like our perspectives of what reasonable behavior is from politicians has changed so much and is mm. so warped from what it was, let's say, five to ten years ago. Yeah. Even in this era, this is unreal. It is. But rather than scheming and lying and obfuscating and all the things they do, I quite like this. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 